Amen. Okay, well, uh, we're going to talk tonight about Christ Conversations, Diplomacy, or D-Day. We're going to continue with the verse that we used last week, Matthew 10, 16, and kind of the, the subject here is on being wise as a serpent. Uh, we know that Jesus told us to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a as a dove. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, it has always been somewhat difficult to strike the balance between lovingly guiding someone in a conversation to Jesus and then just being the Apostle Peter uh, saying that you need to repent, okay? And so we're going to look at eight tips tonight on how we guide people through conversations and uh, lead them to the Lord. So um, here is Matthew ten sixteen. We can just read it together here. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, it's interesting that Jesus' command here to be wise as a serpent and harmless or as innocent as a dove is prefaced by the fact that he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, let's just stop right there and think about some tactics. If you're thinking tactically, that's not a great recipe for success to be sending out sheep, not against one wolf, but in the midst of wolves. So the biblical picture here, according to Jesus, is that people who don't follow him essentially are wolves and will want to destroy whatever threatens them, threatens their comfortability, um, their pride, what have you. So we can take this together with Jesus' promise in Matthew 28 to not leave us or forsake us, but that's not just a sticker that we say, Um, God's taking care of me, therefore I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and it doesn't matter. Y'all have heard this joke, this is probably the oldest church preacher joke in the book about the guy, um, the flood was coming and they said, you need to get out. And he says, the Lord's going to take care of me. Well, the flood waters came, he's up on his roof, they send a boat by, get in the boat, sir, you need to be saved from this flood, God's going to take care of me. Next, he's on the very top of the roof, the chopper comes, sir, get in the chopper, God will take care of me. Next scene, he's in heaven, standing before the Lord. Lord, and he says, Lord, why didn't you take care of me? Y'all know this. And the Lord said, I sent you a boat and a helicopter, all right? And so what, what we're going to try to do tonight is look at some ways and to be wise as a serpent. Now, let me, let me qualify that with this. An effective witness for Christ is not necessarily a good salesman. We all tracking together? We don't sell Jesus to people, okay? But there are certain things that we do to shave off those rough parts of our personality, those things that would unnecessarily push people away from Jesus. So what we want to do, what I need to do, is to have the Lord cut off those areas that are going to rub people wrong for the wrong reason. If they get rubbed wrong, I want it to be because of the message of Jesus. Right. And so this is what we're going to do is kind of just a self introspection ways that I can minimize Jeff and maximize Christ when we talk to someone about him. And here are two fallacies that we're going to knock out very quickly that we didn't get to last week that often people use to get you off the topic before you even get them to Jesus. And um, this would be number 10 from last week. It would be the appeal to pity. 
And that is basically urging the hearer to accept the argument based upon an appeal to emotions, sympathy, etc. For example, quote, your family has really done a lot for you. How can you disrespect us by, quote unquote, changing religions? If you and I were born in the region that we talked about a few minutes ago, Central Asia, and we came to faith in Jesus Christ, this may be a nice version of what we would hear from our families. Big question. When people say, well, you were raised in, the, in America, you're white, you're probably going to end up being a Christian, which is not true at all, but that's a perception out there. Well, you know, if you have a person who's raised in, let's say, India, there's a big chance that they're going to be a Hindu. What does that answer when somebody makes a, a statement like that? Does it answer anything? No. William Lane Craig says it like this. He says, imagine we have a hundred bottles of Coke. They all have the Coke wrappings and looks like Coca-Cola inside. But imagine one of them is actually Dr. Pepper. Okay? The fact that one of them may be wrong, does that violate the fact that there are any of them that are packaged correctly? No. So when people say, oh, there's all sorts of religions in the world, and by that they mean if there's a lot of options, then none of them are right, well, that doesn't follow at all. That's a logical fallacy. Another example here would be, and this is very common, um, especially, I think, when it comes up on, and I'm not, I'm not, picking on um, any of our talk show hosts, but it could be anyone from Bill O'Reilly to someone uh, on the left spectrum of politics, this right here. Hell cannot be real or literal because the suffering there is so terrible. What, what, what should we say? Anybody have something that comes to mind if somebody brings up this fallacy of an appeal to pity or an appeal to emotion? Hell just can't be real. Have you ever been there? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Other than the word, I mean, you know, well, I don't think the chance. Okay. Okay. Pascal's wager, right? Good. Um, just because it's so terrible doesn't mean it's not real. Okay. That doesn't make things bad. Doesn't have any, you know, say in whether or not that were really terrible, if we could just do that, like, boy, the Holocaust was horrible. It was so horrible, it shouldn't have existed. You know what? It was wrong. It was horrible. But can, just because it's bad, and just because I can't stomach it, or even understand it, does that mean that it's not real? Obviously not. Uh, number 11, the genetic fallacy. This is probably one of the most common um, that you hear when you talk about, Regina, different, different religions. Okay? Uh, this is attempting to endorse or disqualify a claim because of the origin or irrelevant history of the claim. For example, quote, religion came about as the result of human evolution trying to make sense of the universe. If you haven't heard that one yet, you probably will. When you begin to try to get someone to Jesus and explain that, they say, oh, pfft, religion as a whole, that just, that came about as the result of people just trying to understand the universe and where they came from and the point of life. All right. Here's a question that we're all going to have to focus on very succinctly. If religion and if Christianity came about as the result 
of people just trying to understand the universe, does that mean that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? No. Once again, the minimal facts show that the most reasonable explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. So even if this is true, which it's not, okay? Nobody who's actually studied it comes to this conclusion. But even if this is true, it doesn't mean that just if you explain where something came from, thereby it's false. That doesn't make sense. Just because you explain where it came from, even if this is true, doesn't mean that that means that it's not um, the case. So the question is, is, even if this is true, does it disprove God's existence or the resurrection of Christ? No, it does not. This is a great verse um, which you should memorize, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But test, and you can also translate this word prove or examine, but test what? Everything. And then once you've tested it, hold fast to what is good. This right here says... That whenever we are given a claim by someone, we don't have to knee-jerk react. We have to test it. Test it by what? Primarily. Y'all tell me. But, yeah, but, but, but by the word. And by the way, people say, well, oh, you're, you're, you're biased. Who is without bias? Nobody. And we're going to touch on this on Sunday. But I want, I want to let this, the thought germinate in your mind. When people say that you Christians are biased because your presupposition, your assumption is that this Bible is true, we are open to God using the natural world. Like Helene went in. They treated it with a stent. We believe, praise God for medical science. Amen? We're for that. But we are also open to God being able to do things supernaturally. To where those who don't believe in God, they are biased against the supernatural. To where we as Christians are open to both. Does that make sense? So really when people say we're biased, say, you know what? Man, I love Jesus. I am biased. I want Jesus to be first in everything in my life. I give that to you. But if you don't believe in God, you are biased against things that I'm not. And I'm open to things that you're not. You see so don't let anybody ever push you into the corner. In fact, if we really think about it, Christians are, and this has been a, an abused term here, um, Christians are the most open-minded people because we believe that God works within natural laws and can also suspend them for purposes of miracles. So here's our eight tactical tips on sharing the gospel. Number one, this is common sense. This is our study. Uh, be ready. Now, this is a marine training motto. The more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle. And I think, John, you've even told me that before with martial arts and, and training. And um, was this something that you guys in the police academy would... No, I swear to West Point, though. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but here's here's our, our verse. Obviously, we're not... just just a, And y'all know this, right? Y'all know this. Everything that we put up here is not necessarily authoritative. Sometimes it's just thought-provoking. Oh, my word. But more using Marine, right? Okay. Yes, that's my God. All right. Here's authoritative. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. This is Paul to the young pastor Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the command, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all complete patience and teaching. 
Now, obviously, this applies to Timothy, but I think, man, if we love Jesus, let this be something that we aspire to. Amen? Like something that we say, Lord, would you prepare me to be ready? And I love this, because a lot of things we gloss over because it's God's word and we don't catch the humor in it. But it's kind of one of those Hello McFly moments. When should I be ready to present the word of God in season? When is it season uh, to reach people for Jesus? should be all day, man. And then if that wasn't clear enough for you, Timothy, when it's out of season, still be ready. You know, have your gun ready in hunting season. And out of, by the way, there is no poaching in evangelism, all right? So we can do that um, anytime. So we're supposed to be be ready. And number two, uh, keep it simple. Charles Spurgeon said, take your text, any verse in the Bible, and make a beeline to the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 here. This is such a powerful passage from the Apostle Paul. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with what kind of speech? Lofty. Let's stop right here. I've heard people say before about different prayers. Boy, that that was just a beautiful prayer. I was talking to someone um, the other day. Evangelism, and I said, a good prayer is an honest prayer. I think one of the best prayers in the Bible is, remember, Luke chapter 18, the tax collector beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If that's in any of our minds, or if you run across people that they don't think they can pray, I've talked to a lot of adults that say, Jeff, I don't know how to pray. And I think that in some of those cases, They think in order to talk to God, we have to have lofty speech as if we're praying to God and we use a big word, a theological buzzword, and God's like, wow, angels, they just blew me away by their verbiage. This is a praying person. Paul says I didn't come to you with that or even wisdom. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You say, can I be an effective witness for Jesus? You can if you do what the Apostle Paul does. The man was brilliant, but he said, you know what? Among you guys, and this is where Corinth, sick, twisted, depraved city, they they compared it to uh, pre-Katrina New Orleans. Bible scholars, ancient historians say Corinth was an absolute cesspool of sin. So he's saying, you know what? Among a a broken society, guess what I'm going to do? I know all this stuff, but I'm just going to say... I'm going to make nothing known to you except for Jesus Christ. Do you realize if we emphasize Jesus, that's being a good witness? Don't think that we have to get into lofty speech or wisdom. Which, by the way, most of the time, that stuff turns people off anyway. It really does. Even if you're talking to an intellect, if you use that stuff, that may be fine to connect with them. But I think a lot of times with with, um, lost people who have degrees, what really connects is a life changed. You're hearing that from a nerd who's in a Ph.D. program, all right? That's what really connects with people. Um, Verse number three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that here's the purpose so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
and that young earth creationism there is not in the text. That's a bleed over for the next page. Like, Paul talked about young earth creationism? That's my fault. But notice here that he's saying the, the reason so that you wouldn't be impressed by a person, but you would be impressed by God. So let's let that consistently be a part of our approach that we don't have to impress people. And guess what? If they know more than us, that's all right. That's all right. I'm going to make much of Christ, though. You're going to say, please follow it. It's called the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we just left off the stupid part. Uh, but, yeah, this is basically same same thing. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's the question. We said, all right, absolutely, we should, we should make much of Jesus. Here's the application. Uh, what should we focus on when we share the gospel? What's that? Exactly. All right. So here's where it gets a little bit tricky for those of us who are here on a Wednesday night at Baptist Church. Common distractions from the gospel. Now, we don't always have to agree on these things, but what I have experienced in my short life is often these things come up and in the conversation, they can become the center focus instead of Christ crucified. Number one, young earth creationism. Say, Jeff, what are you? I'm the red-headed stepchild of science. At this point in my life, I'm going to hold to young earth. All right? That's me. But what if someone comes out with, I'm a Darwinist, and I go to seed on them about this? It's a distraction. Exactly. We're talking about carbon-14 dating. We're talking about, you know, whether the Grand Canyon was caused over, you know... uh, Quick or, or millions of years of erosions and uh, erosion, and honestly, that's not going to get someone to Jesus. All right? Another one would be eschatology, end times. Some of us are we love to talk about the end times. Okay, now that may be effective if the person has a question. They're like, "When is Jesus coming back?" He couldn't come back any minute. If you're preacher of, you know, or if you're, you know, you say. You know, mid-trip or whatever. He's like, well, you know, whatever. So this could become a distraction. Uh, church involvement. People ask questions. This comes up all the time. I've probably had this one more than any other question in Franklin County. Um, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Short answer. It's the wrong question. Right? It's the wrong question. If God is real and if Jesus came and lived and died and if he actually rose from the dead... And he, and he saved me, then the question is not, do I have to go to church to be a follower of him? The question is, what can I do to make him known? Church is just one aspect of that. But sometimes people can get all hung up on this, of whether I go or whether I don't go, and try to just make a beeline to Jesus. But what are some other things that you guys have encountered that may be a legitimate thing, but it's a distraction from Christ crucified? Mm. Good. Yep. Sprinkled, baptized, three times, whatever. Yep. The big ah. ah. That's the big one. Okay. All right. Good. Why should I go there? Mm-hmm. Once again, with the hypocrites thing, we can see the point because it's true. And then we say you agree with Jesus who said there would be hypocrites. And third, why would you let someone get in the way of you and Jesus? But yeah. I'm a good person. I've never bothered nobody. Mm. Serving my community. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. Any others? One of the things with a good person is we, we bring into the law, right? We walk into the law and compared to other people, a lot of folks in Franklin County, great people, but fortunately that's not, that's not the standard of um, how you get in. Number three, avoid religious language and spiritual pretense. Uh, clearing up our jargon. This is, these are just a few suggestions here. Um, and I'm not one of these guys who says that you have to re, um, define everything for society, but I think that we need to define things for society. Just for example, if we throw out the term Christian in our day and time, what do you think that the average person may have ideas about? Like, what does that mean to the average person? Okay. Yeah, like, a, like a moral person, right? Where, no, go ahead. about throwing out things that, you know, people that have never even heard Jesus would not understand, like, mm. you know, washed in the blood of the Lamb, like, <laughs> what? Uh-huh. if you don't know what that means, that can sound like super creepy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that in this, right. in Franklin County, you have such a big problem with saying something like that, mm-hmm. but you do have to make sure that you're being specific as to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Exactly, because if you were to say, you know, if you were just to ask them if they were a Christian, they might say, oh yeah, I grew up in church, my mom and dad were Christians. Bingo. So my mom and dad were Christians, that means I gotta be one because they were. Absolutely. That's just logical, right? You know? Like produces Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. I, I, and once again, some people say Christ follower. I, I I do that sometimes. I think it's good to just break things down to say, you know, and what we're talking. About. And another thing too, don't feel that you're treating people like they're stupid. I think sometimes if we've been in church for a long time, we're like, Psh, I'm not gonna, you know, break that down to somebody. But to understand what it actually means, it means to be a follower um, of Jesus. That's a Christian. The first step of following is to repent and place your faith in Him, which goes back to Christ crucified. Um, faith? Well, what do you think when we throw the term out, faith, in popular culture, come, um, people think of? This could go in so many different directions. Talk about it in terms of... Basic belief, I guess, is believe something is. Okay. No. All right. Which even demons believe that God is real, so... Yes. Yes. And it's like, what does that mean? Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I'm not trying to pick on country music here. I think that sometimes I'll listen to radio, different things, just to have a you know plug on where the culture is. But a lot of our, our country music songs, they talk about faith, but it's exactly that same sense. Lee, it's just a generic. Well, let me have faith. Which, what does that even mean? Um, okay. 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 Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. Yeah. Good, good. Um, I know, especially when you're talking to someone about evidence and science and, and things along those lines, when you throw out the word faith, it usually means believing something in 
the face of evidence. It means the evidence says this, but you say, no, I have faith. I'm going to turn my back on the evidence and have faith. I think it's good to define faith by saying that it's trust in Jesus. It's total, total trust in Jesus. Another one would be just the Gospels. Like you said, Whitney, probably more people here in Franklin County would be familiar with these concepts than, you know, another large city. But just to say those people, or those Jesus trained to spread his message, um, you could say regeneration, you could put born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, um, saved. There's a lot of people that are not really sure what you mean by saved. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but some people, when you say, God convicted me, they're like, I thought Judge Alexander and Judge Rice were the local judges. God convicted you, what prison did he send you to? They don't understand what that means. Uh, and so regeneration saved, just say it's a heart change that results in a life change. And once again, th- this is not set in stone. These are just some tips on how to break this stuff down. Because another tendency is, for example, how long could most of us go explaining the ins and outs of regeneration? Well, you see, the way it began in the Old Testament, they would bring a lamb, right? And then five hours later, we're to the book of Deuteronomy, Right? So, so just getting these phrases that will help people, I think, is very um, important. Are there any other things or phrases that we throw around as Christians that we may want to help clarify for people? Anything come to mind? Well, I was just thinking about when we're regeneration or, or saved or born again. I heard somebody um, in one of the lessons that I did, he was talking about especially with other religions, they have their own terms for mm. saved or born again. And so he said, yes. like, he likes to ask people as if, do you know that right now you're right with God and your sins are forgiven? Mm. was the question that he That's very people, good. And people would get mad and leave her. You mm. know, because you, that's what really what it's at. Is, is that the result of your being born yeah. again being saved? Do you have that? Right, that's a great... I thought that was really good. <laughs> that's a great point. You know, that, that reminds me... Jesus says that unless a man be, what? Born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You're talking to a Hindu, they hear born again. What are they they thinking of? Bingo. They're like, right on, Jesus. Right on. Born again, man. Hundreds of thousands of times over. So, yeah, very helpful. Uh, Number four, it's uh, focused on... I'm sorry, if you've not seen this movie, you... Napoleon Dynamite, you... Anyway, um, if, you, if you ever want to have a time period of like a little over an hour, your mind does no work whatsoever. If you're just that mentally tired, plug it in. But this will make sense in just a second. Number four, uh, the tactic is to focus on the truth of Christianity, not merely its personal benefits, which that would be what we call life enhancement gospel. This comes from Ray Comfort, uh, which would be, quote, Jesus will give you love, joy, and lasting happiness. Therefore, you should give your life to Jesus. That sounds a little bit like Pedro's gospel, which would be, if you vote for Jesus, all your wildest dreams will come true. Okay? Um, What would be the problem with that? The gospel of... Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you... You know, let's think of it outside of current 
Western, or let's just say American Christianity, all right, outside of those youth messages where the, you know, the speaker's like, some of you seventh graders, people are going to make fun of you for being, you know, followers of Jesus, and you're going to be persecuted. I'm like, no, no, they're not. They're, you know, may, may, maybe, maybe, but by and large, let's talk about historic Christianity, where Christians are a persecuted minority group by the government and the popular culture. Um, Jesus comes to give you love, joy, and lasting happiness. That's simply not something that Jesus or the apostles ever said. Now, that is a popular approach. By, I think people, you know, they love the Lord. We're not judging their hearts. Um, even some large Christian organizations say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Notice that Jesus and the apostles never began that way, ever. Ever. Talk with me on this. If you're a lost person and life is about you, and you hear God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, what does that translate to in a lost person's, we can use this word, unregenerate, unsaved mind? What do they hear when we say that? I love me too. Yeah. God loves me. I'm right there already. Me and God are me and God are good. We're tight because I love me. You might you might take that as the wonderful plan for your life is that everything will be taken care of for you. Mm-hmm. You won't have any problems. You'll have you know, all the income you need, and you know you won't ever have any troubles. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a deception that quickly leads you to delusion. You know. Uh huh. Because number one, it's not true. Jesus and the apostles never said it. But think about this. If we promise someone when you trust Jesus, basically all your wildest dreams will come true. The Pedro version of the gospel. And then it actually happens. They are persecuted for righteousness sake. Their wife or their husband gets sick and dies. They experience what we experience as human beings. They experience the difficulty of following Jesus. You know what they conclude? Either Jesus doesn't work or I was sold a false bill of goods. But this is deep. Yes, excellent point. Excellent point. Jesus knows, but he doesn't care. So this is deeply entrenched within Christian evangelical life. And I hope that we can uproot that. Um, if there's any vestige of it here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, three reasons um, why we should never go with the gospel of life enhancement. Number one, because it sidesteps the necessity of repentance. Jesus and the apostles always emphasize there must be repentance. Now, once again, we do that through different ways, through different, um, I guess we could say personality styles, but there has to be repentance. Number two, The life enhancement gospel appeals to, quote, this life only, unquote, self-interest. And I'm not, you know, your best life now, okay? The, the, The book by Joel Osteen. I think that the title, once again, I think he has a spiritual gift of encouragement. But the title is very deceptive because if we're a Christian, our best life could never be now. The only person who this life now could be our best life is a person who's going to go to hell. Think about it. This will be the best they will ever, ever get. So that can't be the case for a Christian, even if God blesses us with a great ministry, great friends, great health, great jobs for 90 plus years, 100 years. This is not our best life now. I'm a number three. The gospel of life enhancement ignores the question of eternity. 
When it's given, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Often, that's given in the sense of God's going to help me with my problems now. Absolutely. And by the way, it's a brilliant way to get decisions, is it not? You tell somebody God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, are you willing to accept that plan? No, I want a bad plan for my life. And I hate Jesus and I drink blood with Satan at night. I mean, nobody's going to say that stuff. They're going to be like, oh yeah, I want a wonderful plan for my life. Sure, I'll pray. Jesus is a good guy, you know. I've seen him on South Park. He's always a fun guy. So, um, why not? But the biblical question is the uncomfortable question that we're going to have to get to at some point with that person is where are you going when you die? We don't like to talk about death, but there's going to have to be that point that it addresses. And Jesus always addressed it. Luke 13, 5, Jesus says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise what? Perish. This is Jesus. Um, and so if we're going to follow him, we've got to model him. And Reason number five is, our um, tactic number five is to give reasons. Uh, let's say Mr. or Mrs. Miss Questioner comes to you and they say, how do you know that God exists? What's some quick, quick draw things that we've learned so far? All right, good. Turn the question on. Yep, burden of proof. All right. What else? Something real quick. Bingo. Good job. Alright, cosmological argument from the universe. Okay, universe, where did it come from? Create itself. Um, you could also go to teleological argument, the argument from design. You could go outside the universe, go inside DNA. You can use the Bill Gates quote about it's like a software program, only far more advanced than anything we've ever developed. And if you want, you can carry around. I found a Bill Gates picture from, it had to be like 1982, and he had these gigantic glasses, and he's got, it was awesome. Um, I've got it say, it's not my screensaver, but it almost made it. Um, you can also use the moral argument to say, you know, do you believe in absolute right and wrong? Do you think it's wrong to torture babies? Well, yeah, well, why? And then you can just walk through that if God doesn't exist, then there's no problem with that ultimately. But we know that there is. And how do we know that there is? We have the image of God, the Imago Dei. And um, we can go from there. We can also use the minimal facts argument for the resurrection. Once again, say, I'm not even having to appeal to the Bible right now. Go to what critical scholars say. The most reasonable explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. Another question by the questioner. How do you know Christianity is true? They're just honest and they ask you that. What do you say? Something quick. A reasons-based answer. Okay. All right. Awesome. Change life. What else? Yeah, no, we'll, we'll try to run through this. One thing you could say is there's over 24,000 New Testament manuscripts. All right. The most that we have of any other ancient document is a little over 600 for uh, Homer's Iliad. Uh, number two, minimal facts for the resurrection. Number three, bingo, um, how Christ changed your life. These are just quick draw things that are just in the course of a conversation. Somebody asks you, how do you know Christianity is true? Boom. Just have it ready. Pull it out um, on them. 1 Peter 3.15, this is our verse, to be ready uh, to give an answer. Number six is to stay calm. 
root your security in who Christ says you are versus what this person thinks about you. I don't know if any of you guys struggle with uh, the fear of man or the fear of woman or fear of what people think or say. But sometimes when we talk to people about Jesus, it can be a temptation to get flustered. Amen? Especially if the person begins to be a little bit antagonistic. And Notice what the Apostle Paul does. He's there before King Agrippa. And notice how he responds. This is Acts 26 and verses 24 through 29. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Stop. You are in chains. You are already humiliated. You are before the king people all over the place, and somebody interrupts you and says, you are stinking out of your mind. You are a psycho. You're insane. Natural response? Anybody want to offer that? Your mom's out of her mind. You know, it, that, the natural response is to, is to defend, okay? Now notice what Paul said in verse 25. But Paul said... It didn't say um, Caruso, didn't say preach or proclaimed, all right? Paul spoke. He said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Now, right here, Paul goes above and respects in the presence of everyone else the person who just disrespected him. That sounds a lot like Jesus who said, this is very hard to turn the other cheek. Paul did that. He says, but I am speaking true and rational words. And notice how he becomes wise as a serpent. He turns from crazy Festus. Then Paul says, for the king, Agrippa, the head honcho there, resident um, Hefe, um, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether long or short, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. That right there, my friends, is awesome. That is a man who's saying, you know what? You guys think I'm nothing. You think I'm a loser. But I wish that you could be what what Lee referenced a moment ago, the changed life. I wish that you could have what Jesus has done in me. That is boldness. That is respect. That is staying calm. And I truly believe that sometimes when people see how we respond, that makes just about as big or even more of an impact than when people sit back and say, boy, That was a brilliant minimal facts case for the resurrection. They are so smart. That rationally connects with me. But when they see us respond with grace, when we're given spite, that makes a huge impact. Um, One one more and then we'll be finished here. If they want to go, then let them leave. Acts 17, at the end of Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite 
and a woman named uh, Damaris and others with them. I actually know a girl in Germany, and that's her, that's her name. She was part of the, uh, the Bible college there that my friends work with. But by the way, we're going to have four Germans. All of them are uh, studying in a seminary in Germany, going to do church planning, and they're going to come visit here for about a half a week. They're going to be over on a Sunday, so I'd love to have them give a testimony. God is rocking Germany by bringing all these Russian Germans back in, and I'm going to run out of time if I get on that, but it's very, very, very cool. You know what? If somebody's ready to end the conversation, you know what we should do? Let them, let them leave. But finally, don't let them leave empty-handed. I have my business card. Um, I met a guy from Serbia the other day in Roanoke. I heard him talk and sound like a, a cross between um, Romanian and, and Russian. I say, hey, where are you guys from? And so, we are from Serbia. And so, talk to them. And they live in Roanoke. So, or offer a gospel tract. And here's what Greg Kukul says in his book, Tactics. He says, offer it. He says, carry around a small copy of the Gospel of John. And I've never, this is so brilliant. I was like, I've got to share it because I've never thought of it before. He said, tell them this. It might be best for me to let Jesus speak for himself. A gift from you to them by saying, you know what? So just let Jesus speak. So hopefully these are some tips that... Um, that will be of assistance to uh, all of us as we continue to try to lead people um, to Jesus. So, will you? Lifeway should have them, but you can probably get them a lot cheaper just from Amazon. Uh, so we've got gotten a lot of stuff from before. Uh, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing to have here, since I'm telling you guys to give them out. Okay. 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 Good deal. All right. I was going to say that last one too. Kind of lets you off the hook with no pressure on you. You know, and I mean, I guess if you're a little afraid, what is it? That's even kind of mm-hmm. a brave way up, but yet it's the best way too. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, whose job is it to save? It's our job to plant and water and let God bring forth the increase.